Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Aw, yeah. If you're working for a living, no matter what you do, I wrote this one for you on my break, just in case the boss is uh, watching. Buzzing, clearing, alarm needs a beating Wanna roll over and sleep till the evening But these bills won't pay themselves, so I hit the shower Gotta be at the job in less than an hour Shirt gets a smell test, make sure it's got a collar Pack up my lunch, cause I only got a dollar Healthy breakfast for the kids, oops, change my shirt Picky waves for all, then it's off to work U-turn, U-turn, coming back for a minute Left my briefcase in the closet and there's paperwork in it Now I'm sitting in traffic, this commute perturbs Why'd I get a job downtown and buy a house in the burbs? I pull into the lot, got my coffee, I'm ready Keep eyes down, casket, past chatty Betty Sit down at my desk, now I'm ready to go Man, I may not be the boss or the CEO But there's a couple of things that I think you ought to know I'll only surf the web for a minute or so And I won't complain if the internet is slow Cause when you hired me, man, you hired a pro I gotta get that bacon and bring it home This desk chair is as good as a throne Nose to the grindstone, put my fingers to the bone Watch me work it out, memo says I'm in the zone I may not be the MVP But I work well with others, even grumpy Steve Stop by my cubicle and I think you'll agree There's no one up in here working harder than me Grousing, griping, I guess I could be grumbling The job ain't always fun, there's people always bumbling The only thing jamming some days is the printer They keep it so cold up in here, it's always winter Burnt the popcorn again, the smell fills the building Overlap or near, but hey man, I'm chilling As I calmly reload the paper in the copier Tenth time today, these peeps can't be much sloppier Meetings, meetings, these things can be a beating The same things over and over, repeating But I'm listening well with my paper and pen Good eye contact, keep the doodles to a minimum Whatever they throw at me, I'll handle it Computer stops working again, I dismantle it Cause I'm a team player, I think outside the square I don't raise the roof, I raise the value of our shares When my task list stack into the ozone layer It may take some work, colleague I ain't scared Watch out, I'm shutting down solitaire Get down, step back, about to get busy up in here Won't catch me slacking, just check that flag check that I'm flag. from the office and that's a fact One time I took a stapler but I brought it back I'm working real hard, making sure in the black. If you work hard, you're just like me. Facebook and Twitter rarely on your screen. Ain't got no fortune like a king or a queen. Gotta take care of business, gotta make that green. Can you uh, fill those out for me in triplicate? Thanks. Sure. I'd like a raise in a promotion, a 401k. That's bigger than the ocean, less taken out for health and dental. A supervisor who's less temperamental. Trying to break like a Kit Kat Water cooler, stretch the legs, have a chit chat Working harder, hardly working, ask me which is we Hold up, the boss is coming through the busy Oh yeah, baby, how you guys doing? Good to see you, Liquid Glad you're here. Welcome, everybody, in Mountainside, Nutley in New Brunswick joining us. Welcome back to uh, 
Work is worship is what we're calling this series. It's about finding God on the job or where does faith factor into the workplace? Um, I don't know if you identify with the uh, worker in our kind of our opening rap video, um, but you know, Monday morning, you know what happens. The alarm goes off, right? There's kind of chaos in the house. You rush to get coffee from Dunkin' Donuts and, you know, kind of skid into work. And then there's Meetings, 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 emails, a little, uh, you know, surfing uh, Facebook. Uh, and of course, a cranky boss. Anybody here work for a difficult boss? You work with difficult people? Don't point. Um, maybe you have a coworker, you know, that if you're honest, you'd like to strangle in Jesus' name. Um, it, that's a question I got this week from a number of you. You, you said, you know, how, how do I do my work as worship if I hate my job? You know, what, it's real practical, right? What if my boss is a jerk? What if I, I have a coworker I'd like to give the right foot of fellowship, you know, kind of thing? So, because so far, this series has been about elevating our view of work as Christians. We've heard a lot of inspiring stories from the workplace, right? A girl who was a designer for Ralph Lauren, and she uses her creative gifts to bring glory to God. A restaurant owner who does ministry in the marketplace. Last week, we heard about Bridgeway Capital. The owners donate 50% of the profits to missions of mercy. All this is inspiring stuff, and I hope it has helped you kind of grasp the central truth that all vocations are holy in God's eyes, not just pastors and missionaries, but God has appointed business people, uh, teachers, creative types, doctors, lawyers, construction workers, students, secretaries. All work is sacred when it's done to the glory of God. In God's eyes, there's no divide between our work and our worship. There's not like there's secular area of my life and then there's the spiritual part. All of it is sacred if it's done for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Work is a form of worship. But what if the people you work with and for don't hold that view? And let's be honest, a lot of them don't, right? Last week, a woman came up to me after the service and said, Tim, you know, I like this idea of work as worship, but to be honest, my, jo I mean, my job is not a joy, right? I dread it, she said. You know, I work um, in a very stressful environment. My boss is kind of a tyrant. He actually throws tantrums. He's demeaning. He uses insults to motivate us. I work crazy hours. It's never enough. And nobody has ever stopped to even say thank you for the effort I put in. And I was like, you know what? That's the real world. And that is a real world question. How do you honor God if you have a bad boss? Because many of us aren't blessed to work in a job that upholds Christian values. In fact, there was a movie uh, released recently with that name. It's called Horrible Bosses. Have you seen this? Um, the movie poster asked the question, is your boss a slave-driving psycho? Very subtle. Uh, and it provided kind of a few examples of bad bosses. Kevin Spacey represents the crazy psycho boss. Then there was the completely incompetent boss. And in the movie, these bosses drove the people who worked for them so nuts, it left Jason Bateman asking the question, ever wish your boss were dead, okay? So the, the movie's actually about taking out the boss in Jesus' name. Don't say amen. Uh, did, did very well the box office. It was a lot, very popular. Why? Because bosses and workers have historically always had strained tensions in the workplace. That employer-employee relationship is really a huge factor in most people's satisfaction with their nine-to-five job. Forbes magazine recently ran an article entitled... How a Bad Boss Can Make You Sick. It was fascinating. It reported a scientific study that found 70% of employees actually experienced physical symptoms of stress from bad bosses. Workers who had bad managers, listen to this, were 60% more likely to suffer from heart disease. Okay? That's your, in other words, your work can literally give you a heart attack. 
And this is the most incredible part. It said 65% of workers said they would take a new boss over a pay raise, given the choice. That's remarkable. I mean, what do you do if you work for um, a tyrant, right? Somebody who is demanding or has outbursts or is super critical and insulting, demands long hours and rarely shows appreciation. Or your boss is a narcissist, right? Thinks the whole business revolves around him and her. They're on a power trip. They're pretty sure that your job is to serve them, not the customers and certainly not God. Or how about a micromanager, right? I mean, when they're con- the person's always constantly looking over your shoulder, doesn't trust you or others, meddles in every decision. Even if he or she is incompetent, they have to have the final word. How, do you, how does work as worship look in that kind of environment? How do you honor God if you have a bad boss? That's the question I want to tackle today in a message I've entitled, Like a Boss. Uh, like a boss is a catchphrase kind of on the internet. Typically, it describes someone who acts like they have all the power and authority, and they do something stupid and have no clue how it impacts those around them. And what I want to look at is how the Bible commands us to act like a boss. If you are a Christian boss or business owner, or you manage people, you have responsibility for workers, and how to leverage your influence and power to create an environment that actually honors, respects, and uplifts those who work for you. Or if you're a Christian employee, how you can learn to literally like a boss, even if they're not likable, okay? God's word actually shows us a way to honor God on the job, even when work is difficult. So the text for today's message is found in Ephesians chapter 6. You can open your Bible, flip there in your phone. We put a page of notes in your program. You can follow along. And in my Bible, the heading for this passage is slaves and masters. This is interesting because Ephesians is a letter, actually, written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. This was around 60 AD, and Ephesus was a uh, city in ancient Greece. It would be modern-day Turkey today, and it's under the rule of the Roman Empire at the time. And what that meant is about a third of the population in Ephesus were slaves or indentured servants who had an earthly master, and some masters were good, and some masters were cruel. But as the gospel arrived in Ephesus, the the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, guess what happened? Some of the slaves became Christ followers, and some of the masters became Christ followers as well. They became Christians. So one of the reasons Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesian believers was to address now, how how does faith in Jesus affect this new power dynamic between masters and slaves, or bosses and workers? because there was a natural tension, as you might imagine. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at Paul's approach here in Ephesians 6 historically, and then I'm going to draw a modern parallel to our workplace in the 21st century. So look at Ephesians 6. We'll start at verse 5. reads this. God's word says, uh, Slaves, Paul writes, Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey who? Obey Christ. Obey them, not only to win their favor, when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And then look at this, final verse, verse 9. He finishes with a word for bosses, people with authority. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them. For you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with God. Now, before we discuss how this kind of applies to the modern world of work, we have to call out the elephant in the room, right? Slavery. 
Because I know what some of you are thinking. If you're new to Christianity or you're like returning to faith after a while, you're kicking the tires of faith, this, you'd be like, you may be like, this is one of the objections I have. There's such weird stuff in the Bible, you know? Here's the Bible and it talks casually about slavery. Like it doesn't even condemn it. Just talks about slavery very matter-of-factly and seems to blindly say, okay, slaves, you just need to obey, you know, without any critical thought. And most thinking people think like, dude, come on. Slavery is this horrific, outdated institution that needs to be condemned. And of course it does. But what you may not understand is the context of slavery in the Greco-Roman world is vastly different than the picture we have in our American minds. See, as Americans, our minds immediately picture the horrific African slave trade of the 17th century, right? Masters with whips and chains who tore apart families, who brutalized people. It was racist, oppressive, and just completely altogether evil. But see, the slavery that Paul describes here in Ephesus was quite different. In the Roman world, slavery was the norm. It was an accepted institution. The majority of people did not have jobs. They were indentured servants. What that means is they worked for families. Different households took them in and they fed them and they took care of them. They gave them room and board. So they were more like a household employee. In that culture, slaves actually held different jobs like teaching, medical care, agriculture, domestic work, all sorts of things, accounting, business. And in the Roman Empire, there were over 60 million slaves. So when at the time Paul writes this, about one out of every three Ephesians would have been a slave. But in the Roman world, slavery was temporary. Slaves were typically emancipated by the age of 30. Why? Because you could save and buy your own freedom. Slavery was actually a pathway to Roman citizenship. And most significantly, Roman slavery was non-racial. If you walked down the streets of Ephesus, you actually couldn't tell by looking at somebody whether they were a slave or not. When slaves became free, a lot of them actually voluntarily chose to keep working for the same master or family because some of them grew very, very close. Now, I don't want to paint too rosy a picture because slaves did, had few legal rights. They were still were considered property. But what Paul's describing here with masters and slaves is much closer to the employer-employee relationship most of us experience on the nine-to-five job. And Paul doesn't actually condemn slavery. He's writing. It's not even in the radar. He's writing to a very small group of Christians who had no hope of even overturning something like this if they wanted to at this point. They're not even thinking that. But Paul just wanted to help them understand, how does the gospel now apply to their everyday work life? And here's what's so cool. What Paul writes, these words in your hands, were so subversive that they eventually led to the complete elimination of slavery. You see, what Paul does here was so radical in the ancient world. He put masters and slaves, both bosses and workers, on equal footing before Christ. He actually challenged a conventional way of thinking that says, I'm the boss, you work for me. Do what I say or else. Here's, he introduced him and says, you guys are equal members of the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, if you're an employee, you actually have a higher allegiance to your work than just an earthly master. Look what he says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey who? Obey Christ. In other words, he's like, if you're a worker, you need to understand one thing. Behind your earthly boss, there's a bigger boss. And that big boss is named Jesus. And no matter how hard your work is, no matter how menial or trivial your job seems to be, even if your earthly boss is a literal slave driver, you can respect his authority because there's a bigger boss standing behind him, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of who? Slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. And Paul does something brilliant here. Instead of attacking the institution of slavery, he makes it a heart issue. He says, you know what? At the end of the day, as a follower of Christ, what's your number one job? It's doing the will of God. It's glorifying Christ. That's why you respect your boss. And then watch, he turns the tables on bosses. He says, I want you guys to treat your workers in a completely counterculture way. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is where? In heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. In other words, God doesn't play favorites, do you? God doesn't threaten people. God doesn't manipulate people, and he doesn't like bosses who do. God gave employers and employees a reciprocal responsibility to serve each other in love. So he basically says, you guys are more than masters and slaves. You guys are brothers and sisters in Christ. You're actually family, and you're both serving one boss, Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes today, that is the first truth that we extract here from Ephesians 6. Whether you are in the role of employer or employee, Jesus is the big boss behind all our work. Regardless of who you work for, regardless of what you do, Jesus is your big boss. He's, he's the undercover boss that stands behind your earthly master. And when you actually show respect on the job, even if your boss doesn't deserve it, that's okay because Jesus does. Jesus is worthy of honor. Jesus gives reward. Jesus actually pays back the wrongs committed against us. And that's why Paul can actually encourage slaves. He actually says, so serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will do what? What's this word say, church? Reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. It's a little like the show Undercover Boss. Have you seen that show, Undercover Boss? Basically, in each episode, the CEO or owner of a business comes down from the boardroom, puts on a disguise, and spends a week working alongside ordinary employees on the front line. So in one episode, the CEO of Subway, you know, he puts on a, an apron and a baseball cap and a goatee, and he makes sandwiches for a week alongside the other folks who are working for minimum wage, right? Or the chief executive of waste management. I love this one. This guy earns millions of dollars a year. He takes off his pinstripes, and he rides the garbage trucks, and he learns what it's like to haul trash, you know, alongside his employees. But the trick of the show is the workers don't know it's the boss, right? He's typically in disguise, sometimes ridiculous, okay? I don't even know what that was. It must be a hair salon owner or something. I don't know. And the show is fun because two things typically happen. The boss gets this, like, inside look of what it's like to actually roll up your sleeves and work on the front lines. But the employees see the CEO completely differently when he reveals himself. They typically have a reaction that goes, oh my goodness, I hope he didn't hear what I said, you know, on the break room. I hope he didn't see how long I took for lunch. They typically say, if I knew the boss was watching, I would have worked harder, right? Have you, have you ever seen that, uh, that t-shirt? Uh, Jesus is coming, look busy, you know? It's a little <laughs> like that. And Paul's essentially saying, Jesus is your undercover boss. That's why you work hard. That's why you work with respect, with sincerity, because whether you see him or not, whether you know it or not, he's there and he's present and he's watching over you. So if you read Ephesians 6 and you just simply replace the word slave with employee and the word master with boss, it would read this way. Employees, 
Obey your earthly bosses with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as employees of Christ, doing the will of the big boss from your heart. Jesus is the big boss behind all our work. And I understand you may be like, well, Tim, okay, but my boss writes my uh, performance review. He does my 360, you know? Or it's my teacher who marks my papers and puts the grade on my report card. But see, if you are a follower of Christ, the Bible says, lift your perspective. It's really Christ you are serving, whether you're working in school or in office or at home. So there's no slacking. There's no backbiting. There's no need to like kind of butt heads or push back against authority. Unless, of course, your boss asks you to violate your conscience or your ethical convictions as a Christian. Christian employees are to work diligently with enthusiasm, with excellence, not only to win the favor when the boss is watching, but we know God is always watching and will ultimately what? Reward our effort in heaven because nothing escapes his eye. And see, guys, this makes a huge difference, especially if your boss or manager is a difficult person. See, when we are submitted to a boss, the Bible says the way you respond to them is actually a way of responding to God. Did you know that? In Romans 13, Paul talks about submission to the authority of the government, right? We don't respect the government in a lot of ways in modern culture, but Paul, it's even worse for Paul. Nero is on the throne at this point. He's burning Christians alive. And Paul says, I want you to respect and obey the government. How can he say that? He says, by obeying the rulers and authorities that God has sovereignly set in place on earth, when they're making laws that are just and right, you're actually obeying God in that process. It's called vicarious authority. Obeying God by obeying those that he has, he has put in authority over us. Same idea here in Ephesians 6. So when you're submitting to your boss and following his or her direction, the Bible says that's a way of you submitting to Christ through them. Remember, guys, Paul is writing to slaves here. <laughs> I don't know what your work situation is like. It's probably a little bit better. Again, slavery wasn't as wicked as American slavery, but it was still slavery. People were considered property. And you know what? This was radical thinking. Because even though Paul doesn't condemn slavery, what he wrote was so subversive that it led to the abolition of slavery altogether. It was actually Christians who eventually began putting these pieces together of what Jesus did and led the abolition movement with this teaching. In Christ, there's neither slave nor nor free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, let's be honest. Some of you are sitting here and saying, man, but Tim, you don't know my boss. <laughs> a lot of the situations that we've been in, you've probably had a boss who you're like, they're not worth submitting to, you know? They're moody, or they're unfair, or he's hypercritical, or she's demanding, or, you know, and, and you know what? The reality is this, guys. Yes, I understand that. But if Paul is telling an indentured servant to submit to their master out of reverence for Christ. It means that when we submit to conditions that are less than perfect, you're doing it not unto your boss, they're not Jesus, but to the big boss standing behind him, that's Christ. And you're submitting to Christ in heaven, even though it means obeying an imperfect human authority on earth. Now, there are limits to this. I need to give you a disclaimer, right? You guys know this. If you're, we talked about integrity last week. If your boss asks you to do something that violates your convictions, Faith actually in Christ, it requires you to respectfully resist. I have a friend who works actually in the, uh, in the auto business, uh, sells cars, 
And uh, he became a Christian at Liquid a couple years ago, and it began changing his approach to the workplace. He said, Tim, the, the auto industry, is, is, it's a tough business. There's, there's some corruption, you know, in the culture and stuff. And he had a conflict uh, of, of interest, actually, not a conflict of interest, of ethics, uh, occur last Christmas. He said, the practice in our auto industry is typically you ask uh, two or three uh, relatives to buy a car at the end of the year. And you fill out a purchase order, but they never actually buy the car. It's just to pad the books, and it makes our dealership look more profitable. And he said, Tim, what do I do? Because I've worked there 15 years, and this is just like standard in, in my business, and it's dishonest. It violates my conscience as a Christian, but it's a common practice in my industry. So I do, what, do I do what's expected or do what's ethical? Do I disobey my boss? Do I honor God? And at first he said, you know, I think I just need to quit my job. I need to leave, you know, that industry altogether. And I said, you know, not so fast. Why don't you read the Old Testament story of Daniel? You guys know that? Where Daniel, who is a devout follower of God, actually is placed in Babylon. <laughs> and he works for Nebuchadnezzar. He serves a pagan king. And somehow he was able to manage to live this pure and devout life amidst all this corruption. And so it was so cool because my friend actually texted me. He's like, tomorrow I'm going to talk to Nebuchadnezzar. You know? <laughs> And I'm like, dude, I'm praying for you, man, you know? And, uh, and, and how did it go? And, and, uh, and so we got together for coffee. He goes, you can't, I have to tell you in person. You can't imagine what happened. I said, what'd you do? And it was so cool to hear him explain this. I think the Holy Spirit gave him this kind of sensitivity. He went in and he said, you know, sir, I don't want to offend you. You know I am a loyal employee. I am all for this dealership. I've done whatever you've asked. But as a Christian, I, I, in good conscience, I feel like I can't write up false purchase orders anymore. But I don't want to hurt you or the company, but I don't want to dishonor God. He's like, at first, my boss was like, oh, come on, what's the big deal? It's just a, da, da. But, he, but he said, you know what? He said, I know that you are loyal. You are, you're a good manager. People like working for you. And even if I don't believe it, I see the, um, the change that this Jesus thing has made in your life. And I actually respect that. And so you know what? You don't have to fill out false orders, but I'd expect you're going to work twice as hard to make up the difference. And guess what? Come the new year, my friend exceeded them. And word has gotten out at his company. He stood up to the boss in a respectful way, in a humble way. And his coworkers now see this change and they're coming to him because they're like, he's a guy who's trustworthy. His life has changed. He's living this out. He's actually witnessing to people because they're like, you know, they're like, I'm having trouble with my marriage, et cetera, and has led coworkers to Christ even now. So his faith in Christ now is literally changing the culture at his work. See, when he first became a Christian, his impulse was, I got to quit my job and get out of the car business but I believe that God set him there to be a light in a dark place. Amen? Christ changed his heart, and now his heart is changing the culture of his workplace. He's impacting people for Christ. Why? Because he's no longer driven by the three Ps. Remember those from last week? Profit, praise, or promotion? See, if your sole motivation is to make money on your job or just earn the approval of your boss or, or, or get the corner office, the promotion, when that doesn't happen, you will be bitter. You will blame your boss or when you get overlooked, or your work doesn't get uh, praise, or you don't get credit, you'll feel despondent. But if your primary motivation of your work is bringing glory to the big boss, to Jesus Christ, even when things don't work out as you had hoped, even then you still have this higher motivation for doing things well with integrity, for performing with excellence, because you're doing it for God who sees it all, who is never unjust, and according to his word, promises to reward every little thing sacrificed for his glory one day in heaven. So there may come a moment in your job where you have to confront a boss or explain to them why some things seem unfair. But when you do, you do it with respect for Christ 
and those he's set in charge. Because you understand, a job well done for Christ's glory is the highest calling you can have on this earth. And even if you're not recognized or given credit, nothing is wasted when the glory of Jesus is put on display. That's how Kimberly approaches her work as a contractor. Kimberly works in the construction business, which some of you know, people are not always gracious and kind in construction. Contractors are not always reliable, sadly not always on time. Less than stellar work is commonplace. But Kimberly stands out because of the heavenly perspective she brings to her earthly business. Yesterday. We're given 24 hours a day. We sleep one third of it. We spend part of the time with family and friends. And the rest of the time is at work. We spend more time at work than we do doing any other single thing. I just can't believe that God doesn't have a higher purpose for us. I own a design-intensive construction company, and most of our work focuses on older residential buildings, mostly from the 1920s, in our neighborhood. There are properties that have been completely neglected for many, many years. We love this neighborhood, and where there's the potential to restore a house rather than tear it down, we're going to pursue that. When I go to work each day, I just pray that God will help me to do my very best. The closer in relationship I am with God, the better able I am to be my best at work. How many, do you have your tape? Tell me how deep it is again, this wall. Ooh, ooh, that's tight. Did this wall get shorter? As the person in charge of the site, I want to exemplify high quality relationships. And I want to do excellent work. When I meet a new subcontractor at work, I want to be in an authentic relationship with that person. Hey, Ina. How are you? Good. Well, you okay? Yeah, doing good. Good. I don't see my very best friends as often as I see the people with whom I work on the job site. So I take those relationships very seriously. And then we lower this on the way you want it. It looks great. Looks great. Thank you so much for doing that. There's a responsibility towards excellence because I wouldn't be comfortable putting myself out there as a Christian and doing shoddy work. You know, I was originally really hoping to get glass up here. How, how hard would that be? Well, I can get those out for sure. I've heard so many times from people who've said that they really could not stand their contractor by the time their construction project was completed. I certainly don't want to be that contractor. I want my work to be a reflection of my faith in God. We often get the message that 
in order to do godly work, we need to be pastors or evangelists or Sunday school teachers. I don't feel gifted to be a pastor, but I do feel strongly gifted to build homes, and I want to use that work to honor God. It's satisfying to have taken a property that was an eyesore and a problem within its community and to restore it. I built great relationships with my team and we did excellent work. We as people, as God's creations, are a reflection of Him. If our output to the world is, is our work, then we want it to continue that reflection. I believe this process is a high calling. Isn't that cool? Kimberly is a contractor for Christ. And see, telling people about Jesus on the job doesn't mean she like hides tracks in the walls, you know, kind of thing. How she does her work is a statement about the worthiness of Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Let me ask you this question. What if people evaluated the worthiness of Jesus based on how you did your work this week? The kind of time you put in, the quality and effort you put behind it, the integrity with which you operate. What if your work was the basis on which non-Christians judged the worthiness of Christ? That's a scary question going into Monday morning, right? Here's the truth. Your attitude and work ethic may be the only Bible your coworkers read all week. Your boss, your customers may never read the Bible, but they will read you, guaranteed. And so what message are you sending as a representative of Jesus? Let me phrase this in a way that you can remember. If you are a Christian worker, ask this question. Am I the best employee they've ever had? I want you to substitute the word employee for whatever job it is you have. Am I the best contractor they've ever had? Am I the best teacher they've ever had? Am I the best salesman, the best doctor, the best secretary, the best waitress? Am I the best accountant they've ever had? See, there's all sorts of ways for you to express your faith in Christ at work. Next week, we're going to talk about sharing your faith at work, evangelism. Don't worry, you don't have to hold a revival in your cubicle, okay? But I want to challenge you this week to think on two areas, reflecting Christ through the excellence of your work and then the value you place on relationships. You see that with Kimberly? As a contractor, she said, I feel a responsibility for excellence. I would not be comfortable putting myself out there as a Christian and doing shoddy work. By the end of the job, so many people, right? You've heard this, right? Oh, I hate my contractor. Oh, it was a nightmare. She's like, I want my work to be a reflection of my faith in Christ. She does restoration work with excellence. She takes old homes and buildings, and instead of tearing them down, what does she do? Painstakingly restores and renovates them. They get a second life. A family gets a new home. In other words, she's doing the work of redemption Monday through Friday in a way that no pastor can. It is a deeply spiritual job, and it has a beauty that others can see in the finished product. It reflects Christ as much as me bolting together a sermon for Sunday. She values excellence, and she values relationships. Did you hear how she said, whenever I meet a subcontractor, I want to be in an authentic relationship with that person? It's so strange to see somebody who, like, works in bricks and mortar, but they put a priority on relationships. And the truth is this. Most of us this week will spend more time with our coworkers at work than we will with our best friend. 
And you may be the closest they get to seeing what faith in Christ looks like close up. Is that motivation for Monday morning? I want you to think about this. Your performance at work this week may be the only Bible your coworkers read. And here's a question. If they only had your performance to look at, what would they conclude about God's worthiness, about God's heart, about his patience, about Christ's mercy and his love? As a Christian, you've got to ask this question. Am I the best blank they've ever had? Am I obedient, conscientious, genuine? Am I the best student they've ever had? Do you serve with enthusiasm from the heart? Whatever you do, you just got to understand this. Whether you are mowing lawns or you're building websites for clients, you're building websites for God. You're mowing lawns for God. And therefore, your relationship with Christ should always make you the best employee on on the job. But see, the reverse is true as well. If you're in charge of people or you, God's given you responsibility, you have authority for managing people, they're your responsibility. I want you to ask this question. Am I the best boss they've ever had? See, in the final verse here, Paul flips the tables, and he speaks to those of us who have authority. He says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not what? Threaten them, since you know that he who's both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. Paul's command here to bosses, don't threaten your workers. They're very practical. Don't play favorites at the office. That would have been shocking to the Ephesians because the laws in Ephesus were so slanted in favor of the masters, even to the point where they said you could abuse a disobedient slave. Again, it was humane for the most part, but if a slave was legally deemed unproductive or lazy, he could legally be whipped or branded or even killed. I was looking this up this week. Though it was rare, the law permitted it. In fact, Augustus crucified a slave who accidentally killed his pet bird. Bad day at the office. But Paul says there's a new law at work. It's the law of love. And a Christian employer should treat those under his authority with the same respect, fairness, and loyalty that he expects to be shown to him. Paul tells masters or bosses to honor the authority of Christ by the humane and just way they treat those who work for them. He says, honor their effort. I want you to reward their work. I want you to let your employees know you appreciate their diligence. And don't use threats. That's what pagan bosses do, right? We've all had that boss who says things like, you know what? You're lucky to even have a job, all right? What's my job description? Your job is to do what I tell you to do, okay? That, guys, that's old school. That's like, that's stinking thinking. That is the the flesh. It's not a spirit-filled believer. Don't threaten them. There's no favoritism. God, does God threaten you? Does God play favorites? He doesn't like bosses who do. And let me tell you something. It's just good business principle. If people at your work are afraid of losing their job, they may obey you short-term, but long-term, they'll leave. They'll be gone. It's been said people leave companies, but they quit people. Nowadays, it's very rare to find a job where the employer truly cares about their welfare. But that's really what Paul's challenging Christian bosses to do in verse 9. He says, I don't want you to treat them like slaves, but like family. And that's the scandal of the gospel. In Christ, there's neither slave nor free. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, what does that mean to have family values in the workplace? Because you hear that word a lot, kind of lip service to it. But let me show it to you in action to close. I want to introduce you to the bosses of bandwidth.com. This is an internet company that I came across whose bosses, Henry and David, do more than treat their workers fairly. They treat them like family. Bandwidth's just got this energy that I think no other company has. Every day you come in here, you can just feel it. I love the fact that it's very family-oriented. 
Um, it's very relaxed atmosphere. The company in general, um, they have this amazing way of promoting you as an individual. Dave and I started Bandwidth.com wanting to solve a problem. We wanted to solve a problem that businesses weren't able to get business internet connectivity effectively. So I was very, very clear when I got out of the Marine Corps and started Bandwidth to commit my plans to the Lord and that I was in it for His glory. So when we got started, all we sold was Bandwidth. And there are a number of different nefarious industries the adult industry being among them that really have a high demand for bandwidth. Spammers are also folks who want to use bandwidth for bad reasons. And early on, we could have made an extraordinary amount of profit selling connectivity to certain industries, but we determined that it was not consistent with our values. We power many of the innovative apps and brands that you're familiar with, like Google Voice, like Skype, Pinger, Twilio, Living Social. If you've used any of those really innovative communications apps, you've used our nationwide network. It's so easy to turn work into an idol. I could work until I dropped, but we really only have an opportunity to be a father and a husband a few hours a day. We've got 300 employees, most of whom are heading up young families. We firmly believe that you've got an opportunity to to be a parent from six to eight, and those are really, really important. So there's no glory in staying late at bandwidth.com. In fact, we go out and we kick people out of the office. Our employees will see family as a value because we have two annual events that involve families. One is the family picnic, which we just had last weekend, where we get up in front of people and say, these are our values. We want you to hold us accountable to them. So if your husband or wife is working, you know, at the seven or 7.30 at night, that's not a value we ascribe to. And being able to model that out and being able to have that type of accountability in front of spouses, I think it's important. Now at the same time, we want to compete and win. We want to do excellent, excellent business. So when there's work to be done, it means dialing back in at 8 o'clock and continuing to hammer. Atmosphere is awesome. I mean, everybody works very hard, um, but we also take time, say during lunch, to go play uh, lunchtime sports. So out of 300 employees, we have 200 that work out at lunch regularly. It's part of who we are, and it's, uh, it's a big part of our work-life family balance. Bandwidth offers a lot of different activities like biking and um, we do a jazzercise class, which is fun, which I do with some of my coworkers. So the company's culture is very much so that we work hard, but we play hard, and they really try to instill an atmosphere to, to have a good balance. Business is consistent with being a Christian. There's so much about putting others first and the greatest commandment that is consistent with building great product and wanting to serve. Everybody's real, everybody's warm, and everybody cares. And I think that's the coolest thing about bandwidth. I mean, they, they don't, they just don't take, they give. And I think that's the, the cool part. Um, and it's like a giant family. It's the neatest place I've ever worked. Lord willing, we'll continue on this great growth trajectory. And we may be a very dominant telecom company. And I don't care so much whether how dominant we are and whether we're absolutely the number one. I want to be the absolute best company that God would have us be. Don't you want to work at a place like that? I mean, yeah, it's, it's rare to find an employer who cares actually about the welfare, not just of the workers, but their families. I mean, forget their business for a sec. I don't, I don't know much about internet connectivity. What I love is how the owners, they've created this working environment that cares as much for the families as for the bottom line. Family is actually one of their stated core values. The owner said, there's no glory to working late at bandwidth. We got a lot of young parents with kids, and you know what? Our employees have this opportunity to be a parent between the hours of 6 and 8 o'clock. 
So we kick everyone out of the office by 6 p.m. so they can go home and redeem those precious hours with their family. Now, they may log on later when the kids are asleep, but we don't work working straight through dinner. It's just not our value. See, a lot of companies give lip service to work, life, and family balance, but bandwidth actually lives it out, and they work and play together as a family. I loved how lunchtime sports, right, was one of their uh, ways of creating a team environment. 200 out of 300 employees uh, play basketball or exercise together. That's their motto, work hard, play hard, and it strengthens their bonds of friendship. I mean, when you dunk over your boss, it kind of levels the, the playing field a little bit, right? That's intentional. I think what the guy said at the end is remarkable. He said, everybody's real, everybody's warm, and everybody gives. They don't just take, they give. It's like a giant family, the neatest place I've ever worked. You get the sense that it's a two-way street. Those at the top aren't just fixated on getting her done and cranking out profits and burning everybody down to the nub. From the founding, the bosses had a commitment to integrity. They actually declined to sell bandwidth to pornographers and spammers. They actually turned away profit in order to stand on principle. They, they're humane. They care about their workers as people. You know, sometimes insecure bosses will worry. They'll say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. You can't get too close, you know. Don't get too chummy with your people. They'll think you're soft or they'll take advantage. That's just insecurity. That's just you don't actually know how to manage. The bosses of bandwidth treat their employees like family. And as a result, they have tremendous loyalty. There's camaraderie. There's a motivation to work hard, play hard, and serve others because they know the bosses care and their leaders worth following. So if you're a boss or you manage people or God's given you authority over certain folks at work, if you're an owner of a, a business, ask this question, am I the best boss they've ever had? I want you to think about it. God has given you this awesome responsibility for crafting one of the largest section of your employees' lives. In fact, the quality of their lives is going to depend greatly on the environment you create for them because they're going to spend more hours of their week there than anywhere else. That is a huge responsibility, and it's a huge opportunity. Are you creating a workplace that treats them humanely? Not as slaves to be driven, but people to develop. Is it family-friendly? I don't mean just lip service to balance, but you actually create a culture that lives it out. In fact, here's a better question. Do you live a balanced life as the boss? Are you able to juggle profit-making and raising a family and your commitment to Christ? Because you know what? It flows from the top down. Anyone in leadership in any job has to ask this question. Am I a leader worth following? Is my life and my faith worth emulating? Because balanced leaders create balanced environments. And if you're out of balance, those who work for you will be as well. Let's end by reading a modern translation of Ephesians 6, verse 9. We'll replace the word master with boss and slave with employee. Here's what Paul writes. And bosses... Treat your employees in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who's both their boss and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with who? With the big boss. Jesus is Lord of the workplace. He is king of kings and boss of bosses. And that's humbling and inspiring to both employers and employees. Amen? Amen. We want to conclude today by offering to pray for some of you who are in challenging work environments. In fact, I'm going to invite your campus pastor and your campus prayer teams forward right now. They're going to stand under the side screens, and we would be honored to pray with you for your work today at the end of today's service. Maybe you're facing a difficult situation at work. Maybe your boss is less than Christian. He would have fit well in Ephesus, you know? Or if you want God just to help you more effectively model Christ in the workplace, maybe you need the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and perspective on the job, we'd love to pray for you. Just come on down front after I close in prayer, confidential. We're just going to put an arm around you and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with God's wisdom and grace.
for whatever you're facing at work. And if you're unemployed, we would love to pray with you for God's choice of a job, okay? If you're, if you're a boss or a business owner, you're like, I, I need you to pray for my company or my business, for, for God's blessing and provision and integrity that as we bring glory to Christ, let us do that. We're here to serve you. So I'm gonna close in prayer for all of us. Then we're gonna dismiss everybody and you can come forward for individual prayer. Let's bow our heads. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, that your word gives such practical advice about how we live the majority of our lives during the week at work. And I ask right now, Your sons and daughters are here, Father God. They're scattered all throughout New Jersey and across the world, and they're going to go tomorrow into environments where people need to see Jesus. Would you fill them now? Anoint them with the Holy Spirit, God. Those who lack wisdom, give special discernment, Father God. Those who are are in a very difficult or even toxic environment, Father, give them peace. Give them grace, Father God, and let them model, Lord, the patience and humility of Jesus. Father, I pray that everything we do tomorrow morning, as we go to offices and schools and campuses and job sites, Father God, may it bring glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, everyone said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.